Good evening, and welcome once again to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm your host, Jeff Hayden, joined in the studio by tonight's co-host, NBC legal and political analyst, Dean Johnson. Tonight on Your Legal Rights, we're talking bankruptcy, debtors' rights, creditors' rights, and most importantly, your rights. It's been 14 months since last we chatted about bankruptcy. Are there any changes in store? What if you really need a bankruptcy? You're flat broke. How do you pay for it? How does a consumer or family member know when it's time to pull the plug? How does a creditor know if this is on the up and up? Good evening, everyone, and happy holidays. You know, Jeff, some bankruptcies are very simple. Someone maxes out the credit cards, gets laid off, and finds herself over her head in debt. On the other hand, as we shall discover tonight, bankruptcy can be fantastically complicated. For example, the new year looks to bring us the spectacle of FTX, a company with a million creditors, with its assets held mostly in cryptocurrency, no corporate records, offices in the Bahamas, and half a billion dollars going out the back door. Tonight, the whole range of bankruptcy is open for exploration, from the plain vanilla Chapter 7 to the corporate disaster that will fill next year's headlines. You've received word that your bank has filed for Chapter 11. What do you do? How does this affect your deposits, your standard of reverse mortgage? How do you file a bankruptcy case? And just who's eligible to file? What do you do? Well, you can start by calling here, as there's much to discuss. Our phone number right here is 415-841-4134. Again, 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, you can still call us toll-free at 866-798-8255. That's 866-798-8255. But bear in mind that our attorney guests cannot provide you precise legal advice without all the facts relating to a given case. However, we're happy to pass along the legal principles to assist you in your decision-making. Their legal guidance mightn't be the positions of their employers or their clients, but they're here to help. And again, our phone number is 415-841-4134. If you're outside the area, call us toll-free, 866-798-8255. And with us tonight is our guest, Leon D. Baer, from the Los Angeles firm of Baer, Wushman & Leota. Leon is a bankruptcy law specialist certified by the California Board of Legal Specialization and a longtime supporter of your legal rights. Mr. Baer is the co-author of The New Bankruptcy, Will It Work for You?, which is published by Nolo Press. And Mr. Baer has been practicing bankruptcy since 1979. Leon, welcome back to your legal rights. Thank you very, very much, Jeff. I'm pleased to be here. And, you know, Leon, our our listeners know that I like to start the show with a big question. And my question is this. You know, looking at the history of bankruptcy law, which is enshrined initially in the Constitution, our founders lived in an era when there were debtors' prisons, when uh, being in excessive debt was regarded as some sort of moral failing Um, They wrote into the Constitution a clause prohibiting impairment of contract. So 
where does bankruptcy come from? Where did they come up with that? Sure. Um, bankruptcy is positively ancient in the history of human beings. Anytime human societies have engaged in any kind of conduct that creates a debt, laws and rules and customs have evolved to deal with insolvency. And there are actually recorded bankruptcy cases going back about 3,000 years. Uh, the oldest one that I know of is from ancient Babylon, written on a clay tablet. Uh, Dean, perhaps you were around at that time to read it. <laughs> I do remember that. It was kind of slow word processing in those days. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so bankruptcy has been around really forever. In fact, in primitive human societies, rules for dealing with insolvency became quickly established and enshrined in local customs. Uh, it must have been hard for those lawyers back in those days carrying around those stone tablets. Uh, that's why they wrote them on such small clay tablets. Okay. All right. Um, so, so we've seen a lot in recent years with the pandemic and now a lot of these financial uh, supports basically going the way going to the wayside how are things now are bankruptcies up personal business uh bankruptcies right now are way down the volume of bankruptcy filings has uh, plummeted and continues to decrease year over year um i don't think there's any cohesive theory to account for that it may have something to do with uh all the trillions of dollars that it's been spent by the federal government over the last two or three years putting money into circulation. Uh, but it seems that's coming to an end, and I'm I'm starting to see an uptick in my practice. So is bankruptcy correlated with the, with the health of the economy? I would assume so. Yeah, uh, in a strange inverse sort of a way, because when the well, economy is good— People have confidence to take on debt, and they also have the confidence to start new businesses. And uh, the failure rate of new businesses is uh, traditionally uh, very high. So with recession coming on, are we gonna, do we expect an uptick or a downtick? There probably will be an uptick. Uh, I think it will start primarily with homeowners that are stressed out over plummeting property values in the face of significant monthly mortgage payments that they carry. And they may start wondering, as they did in the last real estate recession 10 years ago, they may start wondering, is it really worth continuing to pay for this property? Right. And of course, we're not saying a recession is going to happen. Don't panic. I, I think the probability right now is about 30% or something like that. But um, sure, changes in the economy are going to change people's attitudes and change the values of their assets. Sure. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't just take a, a uh, across-the-board recession to have an effect on bankruptcy. Just one segment of the economy, such as real estate, is enough to cause a huge increase in bankruptcy filings. Do you see an, a surge in bankruptcies after the holidays? Do people that run out and run amok with the credit cards uh, necessarily file? Well, that's a little bit of a wives' tale there, Jeff. Um there is certainly some of that, but not very much of it. Um, people don't generally rush out to file bankruptcy, and the average person filing a bankruptcy case, believe it or not, is really exceptionally honest. 
but unfortunate. And and don't the don't the courts kind of look when you file bankruptcy they look back at your recent uh, financial activity right Well the court does not normally do that in most cases it 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 can be done uh someone who files bankruptcy um a middle class person and they have 2 or 300,000 dollars of credit card debt that will provoke inquiry by the office of the United States trustee system which kind of oversees the the back room of bankruptcy administration. Um, but it really falls onto the lap of the creditors themselves. If a creditor feels that somebody is abusing the law, a creditor has the right to challenge that bankruptcy filing and seek to have the debt owed to them declared non-dischargeable in bankruptcy. And there's also an even broader remedy, which is to object to the entire bankruptcy, the discharge of all the debts where really bad things have happened in the past, such as um, hiding or concealing assets, uh, that is uh, something that the bankruptcy system uh, works very hard to to keep itself honest. And so uh, those kind of things are rare, but they do come up. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the limits on bankruptcy. I mean, in the abstract, it seems like the idea of bankruptcy creates a moral hazard. You know, somebody can rack up a lot of debt and then say, oh, well, it's going to be forgiven in bankruptcy. But there really are limits on how often, how frequently, and what, you ha- and what your situation has to be that, that, that kind of constrains somebody's ability to go into bankruptcy court, yes? Yes. The tradition in the law is that bankruptcy relief should be available to the debtor who was honest but unfortunate. And, uh, you know, if someone living paycheck to paycheck, bankruptcy may be just uh, a phone call away. Um, Losing a job, serious illness makes them unable to work. And uh, resorting to maybe uh, living on credit cards for a while, expecting things to get better. And if they don't get better, uh, then what is that person going to do? Also, you have the phenomenon of people who incur debt when they're working and they're meeting all their payments, and then there's a sudden tragedy, a divorce, serious illness that makes them disabled. Um, Those are the kind of things that are really triggering of a bankruptcy. You know, that really begs a question. Your credit cards are maxed out, maybe canceled. You're really out of money. You've amassed all these debts. You, You know it's probably time to file bankruptcy. How do you pay for it? How do you file it? How do you keep the thing working the way it should? Yeah, uh, a really good question. Um, you have to wonder how can people afford to file a bankruptcy case, pay a lawyer and so forth, and the court fees. That costs some money too. Um, a person who is employed is usually able to put together the money to pay a lawyer uh, because they're not paying the creditors anymore, um, especially in a case where they have – continued to pay debts, uh, maybe not all their debts, but the ones that they're hoping to stay in good good terms with. Um, and a bankruptcy lawyer, myself, I'll often tell people, you're just throwing your money away. You may as well uh, stop paying all of the debts. 
how how do you know? I, I hate to use the word qualify for bankruptcy because it doesn't seem like a prize you get. But how how does the the average individual know when they should go forward with bankruptcy? Yeah, in a word, when there's too much month left at the end of the money. And are there? I know obviously there are consequences to being discharged in bankruptcy to your reputation and so on. Well, reputation, you know. Most people don't live anymore in small towns where everybody knows everyone else's business. Mm -hmm. And in a metropolitan area or even in the suburbs, you're not likely to – your your neighbors are not likely to know your personal affairs very well. And that stigma to your reputation doesn't really exist anymore. Well, but we do have – Credit ratings and background checks, and I would sure. imagine that has an impact if the bankruptcy shows up on either one of those. You know, it does, and not as much impact as you would expect. Really? Usually a person, by the time they're ready to file a bankruptcy, their credit's pretty well trashed anyway. They've either stopped making the payments on their installment revolving debt or they're maxed out on everything and their credit ratings start plummeting and they have no available credit left anyway and their scores are going dropping down like a rock. So are there any alternatives that people should explore before they go to the bankruptcy court? Sure. Like uh, what? A person should explore what their legal rights are. Mm-hmm. Bankruptcy is a very complicated legal process and it is not anything to be done casually. It involves the courts. It involves the scrutiny of a police force called the Office of the United States Trustee. And their goal is to keep the bankruptcy system honest so that people who are truly needful of it uh, and deserving of bankruptcy relief will get the relief they need. And those who are crooked or dishonest in some way, maybe they won't get the relief. Let's talk a little bit about what relief we're talking about and just what types of bankruptcy there are. Sure. We've got lots of different bankruptcies. We've got a bankruptcy for just about every purpose. There are international cross-border bankruptcies. There are municipal government bankruptcies. Uh, There are bankruptcy reorganizations for farmers. There are bankruptcy reorganizations for small business people and everyday folks. And there are what we call straight bankruptcy, which is probably what most people think about, which is Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Um, It just happens to come from Chapter Number 7 in the Federal Bankruptcy Code. And so we refer to all these different cases according to the chapter number from which the statutory law is derived. Um, But when we use the word bankruptcy loosely, we are usually talking about a Chapter 7. And that is the kind that will release a person from most kinds of debts. If you're a homeowner and you've got a mortgage, you don't get to keep the house for free. You have to keep paying for it. Same with your car payments if you want to keep the automobile, furniture and appliances to some extent. a Chapter 7 bankruptcy will eliminate debts like, in most cases, such as credit cards. Credit cards, personal loans, finance companies. Um, it generally will not relieve you of a student loan. And um, 
your host, Jeff, he's got a gleam in his eye, and I think he's planning to ask something about student loans somewhere at some point in time in this broadcast. But generally, bankruptcy will not relieve you of a student loan. Um, It's actually easier to discharge income taxes in a bankruptcy case. It's easier to discharge income taxes you owe um, with some rules and regulations on it um, than to discharge your student loans. Figure that one out. The IRS probably doesn't have the same level of – same number of lobbyists as the student lenders do. Um, How does that vary from a Chapter 13? Sure. Chapter 13 is a financial reorganization for individuals. It's not for business. It's not for corporations. It's not for an LLC. It's for individuals, real flesh and blood people. And the typical Chapter 13 case is going to be a case where someone has gotten behind on their house payments and they're facing foreclosure. And hopefully the troubles that they've had in the past, such as having been out of work for a while um, and unable to make their house payments, um, is now remedied with that person back to work, income coming in, sufficient that they could catch up the delinquent house payments if given enough enough time, say a period of between three to five years. And the other requirement is you have to start making the current payment so you don't get any further behind. And little by little over the months of the Chapter 13 case, again, usually between three and five years long, you are gradually catching up all the back payments while at the same time enjoying a restraining order issued by the bankruptcy court to stop your mortgage companies from foreclosing so long as you behave, keep up on the current payments, and faithfully make those installment catch-up payments through the bankruptcy court. Now, but there's a point at which the creditors can force you into a different chapter, right? There, there is. It's, it's very rare for that to happen. Um, it is sometimes possible that creditors will petition the court, file what we call a motion seeking to have a Chapter 13 case converted to a Chapter 7 case with perhaps a forcible liquidation of assets. And, and what's the? I think you sort of implied that, but what's the difference between the two? The basic grounds for that to happen is where there's real serious uh, misconduct being committed by the Chapter 13 debtor, hiding of assets, filing filing false bankruptcy schedules, or just rank carelessness by providing the information necessary to analyze for the court system and the creditors to analyze the situation. But it's extremely rare. Uh, Chapter 13 is normally considered to be a case that must be voluntarily commenced by the debtor and from which they may voluntarily exit if they really want to. It's rare for a case to be converted from a 13 into a case that the debtor doesn't choose to accept. It is sometimes possible for a Chapter 7 bankruptcy with substantial assets uh, to be converted by the bankruptcy trustee or by a creditor into a Chapter 11 reorganization Mm -hmm. case. 
but that too is quite rare. Now you use I, I love the phrase honest but unfortunate. I think that really captures the spirit of bankruptcy law. You hear about the fresh start for somebody who found themselves in over their heads. But there are people who are dishonest and extremely unfortunate. Um and we've covered as you know, as a TV commentator, I've covered some stories where various celebrities have been charged with bankruptcy fraud. So if you're not honest, you can get in a lot of trouble, right? You can get in an awful lot of trouble. Uh, The newsletters of recent bankruptcy law developments that I receive always show every month a list of people all around the country that have been uh, charged with serious bankruptcy crimes, such as hiding, concealing assets from the bankruptcy estate. All quite serious stuff that can land you in jail for a long time. So the guys with the uh, blue windbreakers that say FBI on the back may be coming to visit you. Uh, That's right. And uh, the FBI will investigate bankruptcy crimes if a bankruptcy judge or an officer of the court, such as a bankruptcy trustee, suspects that bankruptcy crimes have been committed uh, they are allowed to make a criminal referral to the FBI for an investigation. Who may come and visit, or they may be going through your garbage on Wednesday night to see well, what documentary evidence they can find. Well, you know, Jeff, I've seen your wardrobe. I don't think there'd be anything interesting in your garbage. <laughs> but for a crook, you'd be surprised. Um, the uh, perfect crime is said to never take place. And people will throw away very incriminating things out of their garbage, into their garbage. And I think, Dean, you have a story about that. Oh, I I think we all have stories about um, abandoned property, which is left in the garbage can that winds up uh, being an exhibit in a federal court. Uh, Documents that might be a little different than the ones that were admitted the day before. That's right. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm Jeff Hayden, joined by co-host Dean Johnson. Tonight, we're discussing bankruptcy and debtors' rights. If you need help or just interested, perhaps looking out for someone, my guest Leon Bayer is here to help. If you have questions for my guest, our phone number is 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, still call us for free, 866-798-8255. That's 866-798-8255. And as always, you can call regarding any question on tonight's topic. And again, that's bankruptcy. You're not limited to the exact point we may be in our conversation. Did we talk about Chapter 12 bankruptcies? We have not. Um, I'll confess to you, it's a subject I don't know a great deal about because in my career, a long, long career of many decades, I've never handled a Chapter 12. Chapter 12 is designed for family farmers, and it operates very similar to the concept of a Chapter 13 case. The debt limits for Chapter 12 are set to a higher level than they would be for the ordinary Chapter 13. And that's done because operating a family farm, you probably incur a lot more debt for farm machinery and construction on a farm. A farm 
buildings uh, than what would you what would be found in a normal consumer bankruptcy. So there is a Chapter 12 for the family farmers. And a Chapter 11 we touched on briefly. Is that to a business pretty close to the same thing as a Chapter 13 is for individuals? That is correct. However, also with the proviso that individuals may file a Chapter 11 case. There are certainly individuals who have financial affairs and asset holdings that are far in excess of the amounts that would be involved in a normal individual bankruptcy case. So there is no prohibition about individual persons being allowed to file a Chapter 11. Yeah, you know, I think most people don't realize that farming, family farming is a very debt-heavy business. You you borrow to buy your seed at the beginning of the season and you hope the crops come in at the end. That's they, right. You're in, in trouble. In effect, you're taking out a mortgage against your crop production. Exactly. I'm amazed there aren't more Chapter 12s given that. Yeah, well, there aren't that many family farms left either. True enough. And and just to be clear, just to be clear, Chapter 12 is not for agribusiness. It's for the family. Farm. It has to be an individual. Got it's it. not for a corporation. Okay. You know, what we do have more of are cyber crimes and cyber bankruptcies and all this, just a whole economy of people that are not working for paychecks, working in the traditional matters. I received a message from a listener who asks, if I'm a small investor and invested $1,000 in FTX and cryptocurrencies, and I find out that FTX has filed for bankruptcy, how likely is it that I will recover any of my $1,000? And does it matter that the head of FTX may be indicted on fraud and embezzlement charges? Wow, what a question. Where do I start to unpeel that onion? Um if you're a small investor of, say, $1,000, uh, don't hold your breath. I don't think any investor is likely to see much money. And one of the reasons for that is when a business is operated in a manner that it makes it actually a criminal enterprise, our, our nickname in the law for that is a Ponzi scheme. And investors who are able to get their money out at the, maybe at the beginning stages of the scheme um, are treated just the same in the same class as everyone who got burned at the end. And to make that happen, the bankruptcy system uh, appoints a bankruptcy trustee, and that trustee has the power to seek to claw back all the monies that have been paid out to everybody who got money from the Ponzi scheme. And that may include, in the case of FTX, um, that may include politicians, universities who received endowment funds or other monies. Um, there's, as, as Dean alluded, there's going to be big, big news about this stuff in the next, in the next year. The news cycles are going to be all over it. Yeah, as we say in TV news, we have a trial of the century about every six months. <laughs> I I think FTX is going to be thus the legal story next year, and I want to explore that more in the second half hour. But you mentioned the investors, that, and our our listener is asking about the small investor. They're what we call unsecured creditors, yes? That's right. And they're at the bottom of the barrel in terms of recovering. They're at the end of the line. But, you know, for that listener, I hope you're listening to this answer, 
uh, don't be without hope because even in the Bernie Madoff bankruptcy case, enough money was recovered, I believe, to make uh, the investors whole because money was recovered from third parties by suing the insurance companies, uh, uh, the um, the CPA firms that provided the audits for their negligence in finding this stuff out. Of course, Madoff was operating locally, and FTX was operating offshore. The only records they kept, from what I understand, were done using QuickBooks for this multi-billion-dollar organization. So I, I would imagine it would be a a big challenge compared to what it was for Madoff. Um, the challenge probably has magnified in scope, but uh, because it's going to be relatively easy to claw back money from political contributions that were made by the promoters of FTX, as well as from celebrities who were touting and promoting the product, um, there's going to be a lot of money available in the bankruptcy estate to hire attorneys and investigators, and they will, of course, be assisted, I'm sure, by the FBI. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM. We'll be back right after this. Support for KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. If you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. Call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information. Now, I want to follow up on that because you're talking about clawing back in the FTX case from political contributors and celebrities. So are you saying that it could happen, that in the bankruptcy court, um, somebody will be going to the, say, chairman of the Democratic National Committee or to the Golden State Warriors and saying, all that money you got from FTX, we want it back? Uh, yes. In fact, that could happen. I think it's likely to happen. I predict it will happen. And because it's it's relatively easy to make demands on all of those entities for return of the monies that they received um, from probably from the inception of FTX, since it seems like it started out as a criminal enterprise. So that means anybody who received money from them is likely to face the clawback. Uh, and there's also been talk of potential liability on the part of celebrity endorsers who include, say, Steph Curry, uh, Tom Brady, his wife, Giselle Bunchen. Um, and does the fact that they might be liable in their individual capacities, does that somehow affect the bankruptcy involvement? It, the bankruptcy court could have jurisdiction to hear lawsuits against those individuals if those individuals were negligent or complicit in fraudulent activities to help market the Ponzi scheme, the illegal scheme product. So that's – it's possible and uh, I imagine if those, if those individuals have uh, – uh, insurance coverage that may indemnify 
um, for something like this, the insurance companies will probably be writing checks. Okay, so the FTX bankruptcy, we talked about different chapters. Would this, would this be a Chapter 15 cross-border bankruptcy, or what would it be? I believe it is filed under Chapter 11. Okay. Um, it's certainly possible that aspects of this case will involve the jurisdiction of other foreign courts, the Bahamas. Um, but I think I think that the federal United States federal court system is going to retain jurisdiction and will have the um, the resources necessary to effectively administer this case. You yeah, mentioned was- an eleven was. Is there some idea somewhere that they're going to reorganize and stick around? Well, the individuals who operated it, created it, no. They certainly are not going to be allowed to continue operating that company under court protection from creditors. Uh, What has already happened is the bankruptcy trustee has been appointed and the officers have been – the old officers of FTX have already been removed and the bankruptcy trustee will be trying to use all these different techniques to recover assets from transferees that received gifts, donations, or even compensation from FTX. Yeah, and the new CEO is uh, John J. Ray III, has some experience with this, having been called in to head up a, a similar situation known as Enron. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that man has a, a deep well of experience and will be bringing in other highly experienced lawyers, accountants, and investigators to assist in the process. And meanwhile, we'll be clawing back funds from celebrities and and the Democratic Party and the Republican Party to pay all those people. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, you're listening so, to your legal rights on KALW ninety one point seven FM, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm Jeff Hayden, joined by co-host Dean Johnson. Tonight, we're discussing bankruptcy and debtors' rights. If you need help, if you're curious, if you're looking out for somebody. My guest, Leon ha- Leon Bayer, is here to help. If you have questions for my guest, our phone number is 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the Bay Area, call us toll-free at 866-798-8255. And as always, you can call regarding any question on bankruptcy. You don't have to jump into the exact point that we may be in our conversation. Yeah, so just following up on that, you know, I'm fascinated by this. You said that you believe the federal courts have the resources to deal with something like FTX. How does a court deal with a, an enterprise that may have a million creditors? Yeah. Uh, well, they're going to have to use cyber resources to deal with the cyber crime. Mm-hmm. So uh, electronically prepared lists of creditors, um Will certainly certainly takes place. In fact, even in the ordinary mom and pop bankruptcy case, we file the paperwork in the bankruptcy court electronically. Uh, so it's already happened. Mm-hmm. It's just going to have to be on a much larger scale in FTX. And, and it's sort of you used the term uh, when we were talking earlier, bust out. This is the classic bust out, isn't it? Yeah, because mo- money assets are missing. You know, we we coined the term in bankruptcy law. Oh, probably back in the 1920s and 30s, bust-out scheme. And that's where a business 
gets organized, started up, gets investors. They fill up the, the shelves of the store with merchandise, and they run up lots of debt to trade creditors who help to finance the business and to suppliers who who provide goods and services to the business. And then after all the money has been sucked out by the promoters of the business, um, all the remaining merchandise disappears. It busts out the back door uh, the day before the bankruptcy gets filed. And that's really what I think has happened with FTX. I mean – you know, I mean, we're hearing stories about huge, huge amounts of money. Yeah, 500, that, 500 million bucks disappearing out yeah, the back door. Yeah. yeah. It takes a lot of wheelbarrows to carry that much money. Um, and it is when, – when, I think when you distill this FTX down to its just very simplest terms, it's a bust-out scheme. Mm-hmm. And so now it, – it, but it's a bust-out scheme with a 21st century difference in that the assets aren't – um, inventory in a warehouse, the cryptocurrency, which rests on a presumably on a blockchain and in somebody's digital wallet. How do we go after that? Yeah. Well, I have to believe if money can go into a digital wallet, it can. the authorities will find the way to take it out of the digital wallet to freeze and preserve those assets for whatever remaining value they happen to have and liquidate them in the bankruptcy estate. Well, we, we we often have a guest on here when we talk about crypto named Redbeard, who is legendary in the crypto world. And I think he would say, that's the exact reason we created crypto. So you can't get at it. And so it is safe. Uh, I don't believe that. Yeah. Uh, I just don't believe it. There's no perfect crime. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. And there have been instances where um, the FBI has pursued crypto criminals, cryptocurrency criminals um, who would use crypto for Ill- illegal transactions and they've been able to recover the crypto. Yeah, yeah. I just I just wish they could do something about all those illegal robocalls that I keep getting at the house and the office all day long. I wish the FBI would track those people down. Yeah, you and me both. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, talk a little bit about some other more common issues in bankruptcy. For example, Someone's way behind in their taxes. Dean, I promised I wouldn't tell anybody about this, but someone's way behind in their taxes. <laughs> Does a standard bankruptcy work, and will it stop the IRS from calling, or do the IRS even call? It does stop the IRS, at least temporarily. The typical Chapter 7 bankruptcy case has a lifespan in the court of about two and a half or three months, and as soon as a bankruptcy case is filed the legal system issues a restraining order. It's called an automatic stay, and it stops the actions of all creditors, whatever they're doing, so that the court can sort things out. With respect to the IRS, the automatic stay certainly affects the IRS. They're not allowed to call you anymore. They can't threaten to seize assets. And um, income taxes actually can be discharged in bankruptcy, provided the requirements are met. Uh, This is a little bit of an oversimplification, but it'll make it easier for everyone to understand. Let's say you have filed an honest tax return that was due at least three years ago, and it's been more than two years since you filed the return, and you're not under an audit or anything like that right now, and there's been no assessment made within... Six the last six months before you file bankruptcy, 
And your return that was filed was an honest return, even though you did not attach a check made payable to Uncle Sam. That tax is probably going to be dischargeable in the bankruptcy case, as well as income taxes that meet the same requ- those same criteria that are owed to states and even local governments if it's an income tax. And just in case any IRS agents are listening, I am way caught up on my taxes. In fact, I just collected my refund, $2.75. Well, that's better than a that's better than a royalty check from uh-huh. a from a song you may have written. Yeah, it's better than a stick in the eye, that's for sure. So, it works for taxes. What are some of the types of debt that perhaps you can't discharge in bankruptcy. Sure. Um, debts, the easiest way to understand this is to think about debts that have special importance to society, such as student loans. The idea behind student loans is that you get a loan and you pay it back, and then the monies you repay get to be loaned out again to someone else who is deserving and wishes to go to school. Uh, Likewise, debts that are owed for child support and family support, which I think are frequent topics here on your legal rights, uh, those kinds of debts do not get discharged in a bankruptcy. Also, debts created during a marriage dissolution such as orders for the equalization of property between ex-spouses are not dischargeable, at least in a Chapter 7 case. And um, so those are, those are debts that have very, very high importance to society as a whole, even though they're evidenced by the concept of debt. It's more important to society that you take care of your dependents and you pay your support payments faithfully than it is to release you from hopeless debts of that character. So we talked a little bit about this at the beginning, but we've seen a lot of the economy propped up for quite a while during the pandemic. They floated a lot of a lot of things. Were any of those things loosening of the bankruptcy standards to allow people a chance to get a get a fresh start? There are provisions in those particular statutes providing that, for example, the government uh, payroll protection loans and so forth. Uh, to the extent those loans are forgiven, they do not become taxable income to the borrower. And in fact, debts that are discharged in a bankruptcy case do not count as taxable income to the debtor. Um, Outside of bankruptcy, if you make arrangements with a creditor to settle for 50 cents on the dollar, that creditor might report the debt forgiveness as taxable income. You may have defenses such as insolvency um, to insulate you from the responsibility to pay income tax on forgiven debt. Um, And probably most people would fall into that category if they've negotiated a settlement uh, with creditors. Um, But 
it, it is absolutely clear and it's written into the law that debts discharged in bankruptcy do not be do not get counted as taxable income. So we lost a lot of businesses during the pandemic. Um, there was an article the other day, something like 20 restaurants that had been landmarks in the Bay Area were closing down as a result of the pandemic, the recession, energy costs, and so on. Might uh, a reorganization in bankruptcy be a viable alternative for some of those businesses? You know, the, the you have to look at the fundamentals of the business. Mm-hmm. And a business that is just operating with deep losses is probably not going to come back and recover. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's really a tragedy because so many of those businesses are small businesses, mom and pop businesses. My hometown, Woodland Hills, California, we did have a lot of empty storefronts for a while mm-hmm. of sandwich shops, little restaurants that had gone under. They just couldn't make it. And unless you have a a profitable foundation, it's not likely for the business to recover unless, unless it has significant assets that are going to be liquidated. Yeah. And a lot of those businesses, most of the assets are just their business goodwill, which doesn't really show up on the books. That's right. And uh, the business has to have some underlying uh, viability such that rescheduling out their debts instead of, you know, an arm's length list of debt that's all due right now, that could be rescheduled under Chapter 11, sometimes out five, ten years even. Um, And that can allow a small business to recover if they have the ability on a monthly profit and loss basis to generate profit. Yeah, but if you rely on a lot of inventory, like a restaurant or a retail store, those vendors have to be paid immediately. They're not going to accept a five-year plan. Well, they will. They they may. It's they might have no choice in accepting it. However, you talk about a restaurant and the vendors that are selling food to the restaurant. They don't have to sell new product to the exactly, restaurant yeah. anymore. Uh, what will typically happen is they'll put the business on COD. So you want a load of fish, meat, and vegetables delivered today, you better be ready to pay for it. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely a catch-22 for those small businesses. Yeah. It's uh, it's very hard. And in those kind of situations, it's probably just going to be a straight business closure. So let's talk about the uh, about the ordinary Joes and Janes that are out there. They're thinking, you know, I'm hitting hard times. You know, maybe bankruptcy is a possibility. What are, what are the steps that they should take um, to decide whether or not to go that route? The first thing is to know your legal rights. Isn't that nice how I worked in the name of the program? I love that segue. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, you know, you all have legal rights out there, all the listeners and everyone who's not listening. You have legal rights that per- will protect you in the situations where you find yourself in serious debt. And a bankruptcy lawyer is the best resource that you can go to to find out what you can do. And most bankruptcy lawyers don't charge a consultation fee. Uh, after all, prospective clients who are broke, they don't want to spend a couple hundred bucks to talk to a lawyer for an hour. Um, and bankruptcy lawyers uh, learned 
uh, many, many decades ago that it makes sense to provide a consumer with a free consultation. That person might become your client. And we take great pride in my office about providing free consultations. Uh, And as I said, almost all bankruptcy lawyers do it. And um, the beauty of the system is there's lots of bankruptcy lawyers. And if the person you meet with, you don't like them, they rub you the wrong way, or they're very stingy about giving you real advice, real information, take a walk and go to somebody else. And in fact, even on the subject of attorney fees, you can shop around. Um, and you can you can find excellent lawyers today in the bankruptcy field at bargain prices. Yeah, shop, I, shop. I, I always tell potential clients who are shopping around. I say, if if you want to know how to pick a lawyer, pick the lawyer with whom you have a rapport, somebody who's going to communicate with you, who's going to talk straight, and that's the lawyer you want. Because there are young lawyers out there who are really good, and then there are experienced lawyers out there who've had. 25 years of experience, but they've had the same years of experience 25 times. uh, (laughs) But let's not forget that bankruptcy is an area where lawyers are often specialized. And you can go to the California Board of Legal Specialization and choose from amongst an attorney who's at least shown that they've taken the courses, that they've had the right experience, and that that's really what they do is... uh, bankruptcy law. And we always like to point out that uh, every county bar association has a lawyer's referral service, and you can call up and find lawyers who are vetted in bankruptcy or any other legal area to give you a consultation for a very small fee. Yeah. I think, for example, the uh, my local bar association, Los Angeles County Bar, they have a referral panel that uh, of lawyers that will charge you twenty five dollars exactly. for an hour or yeah. a half hour, and uh, but again, most bankruptcy lawyers will do it for absolutely for free. Yeah, and if you like you know, the lawyer, hire him, and if you don't, shop walk. around. Yeah, just yeah. walk out of there. A few years ago, we had a conversation about a, the Republican Congress and how they tightened up bankruptcy laws and made it harder to get any kind of relief. Has Congress made it any easier for people to file bankruptcy over the last few years? Congress has not. There has been a specter of some limited relief, perhaps, on federal student loans. But I think it's a bit more of a mirage. I don't know if you want to go into that in any depth. Um, We certainly can. The method of getting rid of student loans in a bankruptcy case is to file a lawsuit in the bankruptcy court against your lender. And in your lawsuit, you have the burden of establishing that you have some kind of a serious undue hardship that prevents you from having any kind of a subsistence standard of living and the ability to simultaneously make the payments on your student loan. The criteria is extremely rigorous. And you may think, gosh, you know, I can't afford to go to Starbucks every morning and pay my student loan. That's not a hardship that the law recognizes. I want to buy a home. I'm tired of living in an apartment. I want my own house to live in. 
that is not an undue hardship. The kind the case law teaches us that debtors who have succeeded in obtaining an undue hardship on student loans are those who have a serious permanent or very long-term disability that prevents them from earning a subsistence standard of living and have the ability to pay anything on their student loans. Nobody expects them to be paying their student loans on disability. That's right. Yet the process of getting them discharged is very onerous. It's hard because it involves filing a complicated court case. It's not just a normal thing that happens in the bankruptcy automatically, like discharging a credit card. You have to take the creditor to court, and you have to prevail over them to meet your burden of proof. And it's hard. Not something an assembly line worker would want to take on and represent themselves. That's right. Um, There are very few cases that get filed to seek a hardship discharge of student loans because the cost is enormous. Uh, Even at a reduced fee, it could cost $10,000 or $15,000 in attorney fees to take one of these things all the way to trial. We we spoke briefly about this earlier, but let me ask you point blank. Did the pandemic affect bankruptcy laws? It did not change the bankruptcy laws at all. There certainly have been state and local laws and regulations enacted, such as moratoriums on uh, eviction and so forth, but nothing contained in the federal bankruptcy law to do that. You know, we've talked a lot about filing for bankruptcy and debtors in bankruptcy. Um, The flip side is the creditor. If you are a creditor in bankruptcy, I think we've all at one time or another gotten the notice, you know, you're a creditor in such and such a a bankruptcy lawsuit. What do you do? You know, you do the same thing as the person who is the debtor. You get legal advice. There are significant and strong rights for creditors in a bankruptcy case. The typical situation that I will encounter in my practice is someone who has a mortgage against a piece of real estate and the borrower has filed bankruptcy. Uh, You, as a creditor who have own a mortgage against a piece of real estate, you still have very strong rights. Um, A creditor who has been defrauded by the debtor has very strong rights. So the first step is talk to one or more bankruptcy lawyers and find out what your legal rights really are and learn what how, what it'll cost to pursue those rights. Someone who's defrauded you out of, say, $5,000, you are not going to hire a lawyer to fight the bankruptcy. The lawyer fees would be as much money as what you would ever hope to win in your case. So... Uh, but if someone has defrauded you out of a half a million, yeah, maybe yeah. you do. If there's a house in Silicon Valley involved, which can be six figures or seven figures or eight figures, yeah, you're going to go out and hire a lawyer, yeah? That's right. Yeah. It's all relative. Well, we're running low on time, and I did want to give you a couple minutes, Leon, if you wanted to have any closing advice or final thoughts. Yeah. Um, it's something I've been trying to hammer home, and that is talk to lawyers 
that practice law regularly in the field of bankruptcy. And there's no reason for you to have to wake up in the middle of the night worried about the bill collectors that called you that day and the bill collectors that are going to call you tomorrow. Go get legal advice and probably legal help. You, you have a way out of this. You don't have to suffer with it. The average person who files a bankruptcy case is probably an individual that just has too much credit card debt. And as I'd said before, those credit card debts, they pile up if you're out of work. They pile up if you're coming out of a divorce. They pile up if you've had a serious illness and you no longer have the income that you used to have. So how are you going to make those payments? If you're getting paid on disability, you're lucky if it covers the rent. It's not going to cover the credit card payments. You've been listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM in San Francisco. Tonight, we've been discussing an overview of bankruptcy and debtor's, debtor's rights. Our guest tonight has been Leon D. Bayer from the Los Angeles firm of Bayer, Wishman, and Leota. Leon is a certified bankruptcy law specialist certified by the California Board of Legal Specialization, State Bar of California, and a longtime supporter from your legal rights. Tonight's show was produced by Dean Johnson and yours truly. Perhaps you've heard about various challenges to who can vote and how votes can be counted and how you can view the voting and what's been counted. What's happening throughout the country? Well, what's happening right here at home? Our final broadcast of 2022, we will take a look at elections in San Francisco and beyond. Best of all, we'll take your calls and answer your questions. A big thanks to tonight's guest, Leon Baer. Thank you for joining us yet again and for being there for us year after year. And on behalf of your legal rights, a big thanks to all of you for listening. To my co-host, NBC legal and political analyst, Dean Johnson. And at the controls, Joanne Marr. I'm Jeff Hayden. Good night, be safe, and have happy holidays. Support for KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. If you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. Call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information. Listening to KALW San Francisco Bay Area. Pleasanton. Fall Town. Richmond. Sunset. Oakland, California. Copper, California. Fairfield. Foothill.